I tell you, I get excited about the 4th of July these days uh, because it is a celebration worth having. And I enjoyed uh, myself yesterday. We got together with family and friends. We ate a lot of food. Uh, at one point, I had fried chicken, baked beans, and uh, what was the other thing I had? Macaroni and cheese on my plate. And I just, I'll tell you, it was as American as it gets. I just, I'm telling you, I loved it. Uh, and uh, had some wonderful conversations with some good friends. And then last night happened. Uh, there's just something about Amos fireworks shows that I'm telling you they're going to shut us down. I, I just know right now they're going to pass a law and they're going to make it to where an Amos can't shoot fireworks anymore because it goes that, that wildly every single time. And it didn't fail to excite last night. We had a time out in the field of course, some of you may know my brother and uh, our, our cousin slash sister and brother-in-law. Uh, they bought a field together behind our house. And so we decided to take the fireworks show out to the field. And so we go out there. My brother, he tells me, he's like, you know, I got everything set up. It's ready to go. And I know what that means. I mean, I know what that means as an Amos. And uh, he had his truck, and he had carved out a path through the woods to be able to drive through the woods up into the field, which that alone, that was the only thing we did that was exciting enough. Uh, and we get up there, and he starts shooting off the fireworks. Well, there were like two fireworks out of 50 that my dad brought. And he, he bought them because they were on sale at Menards. <laughs> now, let me be clear. If it's on sale at Menards, you don't buy it if it's a firework. Well, he, he lights this thing, and, and Silas and Ezra, they're already in the truck crying because I mean, that's just the normal fireworks. Well, this happens, and it, we had fireworks blowing up in the woods. We had fireworks blowing up in the garden. I'm not kidding. Am I kidding? That's what happened. It was wild. But th that was just, I mean, if you knew how things have gone for the last 15 years in our family... You know, whenever my dad or my brother say, hey, we're going to do fireworks on 4th of July, you know, you probably better come cowboyed up because that's what it's going to take to survive. Uh, but we had a wonderful time with that and enjoyed each other's company. I hope you all had a great day. I do. I hope you had a wonderful day. Uh, we're living in a time where uh, there are many that are trying to rewrite our history, trying to change things and turn them into something they're not. Uh, but I'll tell you, the way that our country has one freedom and then taking that freedom and spread it all around the world and the way that we have also uh, been founded on our Judeo-Christian values and have taken those and spread those around the world. Uh, it is an honor and a privilege to live here and I hope you had a good time celebrating that yesterday. Haggai chapter number two is where we're at uh, this morning. I do believe next week we will go back to the book of Ezra out of the book of Haggai, but uh, this was a this was a pleasant surprise. Haggai was a pleasant surprise to me. I had no intention of going to the book of Haggai when we started the book of Ezra. I don't know why I was not intending that. I should have maybe thought more through it. But whenever I came upon, in Ezra chapter number 4, when I came upon these two prophets mentioned, uh, and then I started reading these books, I thought, this is shockingly timely. Uh, it has been astounding and stunning to me how the book of Haggai, just these two little chapters, are so fitting for Christianity, for churches right now, today, in exactly the environment we find ourselves in, under the exact same scenario, essentially, 
as what the children of Israel are in here. I am just amazed by it and thrilled that God has worked it out this way, and I hope it has been a blessing to you. What we've looked at so far in the book of Haggai is that God is a source of our conviction. He is the one that's to be guiding and directing what we believe and why we believe it. At the end of the day, it does not matter what the professor says at the local college. It does not matter what the great minds of our day are saying about it. What matters is what God has said and what his opinion is on the subject, and that is something that does not change. I think the most valuable aspect of the truth that God has given us is that his truth does not change. His his truth is not manipulated by the times or the seasons or the perspectives of other folks. His truth remains the same at all times, and I find that to be very uh, settling for my heart, very settling for my soul. And so God is the source of our conviction. Number two, God is the supervisor of our conduct. Who is it that's to determine what we do? God and God alone. As a church, it's God and God alone. Anything else is falling short of God's expectation and God's desire. Now, God has given us principles in His Word to follow, and that's what we follow. Will that sometimes uh, coincide with some of the expectations of government? Yes. But will that also at times go cross-grain to the expectations of government? Yes. The question then becomes, what do I do in that scenario? When I am placed in a position where God has told me to do one thing and the government has told me to do something different, who do I follow? We follow God. Come what may, no matter the consequences, come what may, that's what we do. Why was it that the Apostle Paul spent most of his time writing letters from prison? Because he did what God wanted him to do, not the government. And there will come a day you mark my words. There will come a day, and it's coming, unfortunately, I think, sooner than we imagined, but there will come a day where we will have those choices to make. And we've got to make sure we're prepared to make the right decisions. God is the supervisor of our conduct. Number three, God is the stoker of our courage. I hope that that blessed you like it blessed me, the fact that God has has given us everything necessary to get our hearts in a place where we can stand strong for Him. I fear that a lack of a closeness to God is what has resulted in uh, our fear. It's what's resulted in our cowardice. The reason we have cowered down as Christians for as as long as we have is because there has been a distance between us and God. The closer you are to God, the more confident you are in God. It, It reminds me of what happened last night with the fireworks show. Frankly, after that one wild... Thing that happened. I didn't blame Silas and Ezra for being upset. They were already upset before that. They were already in the car before that. But I got in the car, and as I got in the car with them, I sat in the front seat. Well, that wasn't good enough. It, it, let's start here. I started by asking them through the window. They know I'm right outside the truck. How are you guys doing? Are you doing okay? And they're both in there shaking and whimpering. <laughs> we want to go home. And I said, what if daddy gets in the truck with you? And so I get in the front seat. I climb in there and and they're still kind of shaking and they're real quiet. I said, are you guys okay? I said, do you want me to come back there and sit with you? And so I got out of the front seat and I went around. I got in the back seat and I got Silas right up next. Silas has had a built-in fear of fireworks his whole life. Last year was the saddest thing you've ever seen. And so I pulled, don't say anything to him though, it'll embarrass him. He's old enough to be embarrassed now. 
he comes right up next to me, just slides right up next to me, and I can feel him shaking. Last night, and it's just tiny little fireworks. He's shaking. And I put my arm around him. Yeah. I put my arm around him. I said, is that a little better now? Mm-hmm. And he stopped shaking. The closer he was to me, the more confident he was that he was going to be okay. Same thing is true with our relationship with God. The closer we are to him, the more confident, the more courage that we can have. Uh, and that's what it's all about. Number four, we started looking at the fact that God is the stirrer of our consideration. Look at Haggai chapter number two and verse number 11. <clears throat> can you hear me, Miss Jane? Am I talking loud enough? I'll talk louder. Haggai chapter number 2, and we'll jump in at verse number 11. Uh, The Bible says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Ask now the priests concerning the law, saying, If one bear holy flesh in the skirt of his garment, and with his skirt do touch bread, or pottage, or wine, or oil, or any meat, shall it be holy? And the priests answered and said, No. Then said Haggai, If one that is unclean by a dead body touch any of these, shall it be unclean? And the priests answered and said, It shall be unclean. Then answered Haggai and said, So is this people, and so is this nation before me, saith the Lord, and so is every work of their hands, and that which they offer uh, there is unclean. And now I pray you, Consider from this day and upward, from before a stone was laid upon a stone in the temple of the Lord, since those days were uh, when one came to an heap of twenty measures, there was but ten. When one came to the uh, press fat for to draw out fifty vessels out of the press, there were but twenty. I smote you with blasting and with mildew and with hail in all the labors of your hands, yet ye turn not to me, saith the Lord." What we took some time to look at last week was that we are to first consider our counsel. In verses 11 through 14, what I believe Haggai, through the Holy Spirit speaking to him here, is saying is that it's very difficult to maintain influence in a good way on people, but it's very easy to adopt bad influence from people. If you think you're going to go into this situation and enter into this relationship and change that person for the better, you better be ready because more than likely they're going to actually turn around and change you for the worse. How many times have we seen that happen in young people's lives? They enter into a relationship and I know they're not saved. I know they don't go to church, but I'm convinced that I can help them. And one thing leads to another. And before you know it, that young person that was a solid young person on fire for God has completely walked out of the church because of their relationship with that individual. It doesn't work that way. And what Haggai is saying is, you can try and try and try all you want, but at the end of the day, chances are their bad influence is going to wear on you a whole lot easier than your good influence is going to wear off on them. Does that mean we avoid that? No. But I do believe it means that we are guarded in those relationships. And and there are times, the Bible teaches it plainly, that we are to walk away from certain types of people. People that influence us in a negative way. That's exactly what Haggai is teaching here. So consider your counsel. Number two, we looked at consider your chastisement. In verses 15 through 17, God is again reminding them of all the different ways that He has affected their home life. God said, I literally stepped right into your homes and I started affecting you right where you were at. Why? Because you didn't finish my home. That was the, this, that's what the whole book of Haggai is about. 
is the fact that the children of Israel had stopped building the temple. They just said, no, we're not going to do it no more. Because the government said we can't do it anymore. And they walked away. And God comes along and he said, basically, what are you doing? Why did you stop doing what I told you to do? I'm the source of your conviction. I'm the supervisor of your conduct. I'm the stoker of your courage. I've got this covered. All I want you to do at this point is turn around and go back to where you came from and start doing what I told you to do in the beginning. What good advice that is for us today, isn't it? And here we have the chastisement of the Lord falling on the children of Israel. And at the end of all of it, He said, And yet you still have not heard my voice. You've not seen my chastisement. And that's why we're saying here we need to consider His chastisement. When something goes on in our lives, don't just chalk it up to bad times. God could be moving. God could be working to point things out and to direct your life and to show you certain failures or areas of weakness that you need to sure up in your heart and in your life. Don't just chalk it up to, well, we had a bad week of business. Well, things just didn't go as planned. It is astounding to me when I open my eyes how God correlates my personal life with my spiritual life to guide me in righteousness. And when I step out of His righteousness, whenever I step out of His will, guess what? Things don't go the way they're supposed to. But the moment I step back into His will, the moment I step back into His righteousness, all of a sudden things start going the way they're supposed to go again. I believe with all my heart that's how involved God wants to be in our lives. I believe that's how involved God is in the lives of His children if we'll just open our eyes to see it. Now, are you saying, preacher, that every time things don't go as planned that God's trying to tell me I'm wrong? No, I'm not saying that at all. You better believe that it rains on the just and on the unjust. Things go well for the righteous and things go well for the unrighteous. Things don't go well for the righteous. Things don't go well for the unrighteous. But at the end of the day, I do believe there are many times God's trying to speak to our hearts and we miss it. So God is is the one that should be guiding us in counsel. God is the one that is guiding us in chastisement. But there was one point I did not get a chance to make last week that we're going to spend the rest of our time making this week. I'm going to tell you what the point is, and then I'm going to backtrack. And that is that you're to consider your capability. Consider your capability. Look at verses 18 and 19. There's that word again, consider. God is the stirrer of our consideration. Consider now, verse 18, consider now from this day and upward, from the four and twentieth day of the ninth month, even from the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider it. Now listen to what he asks here. So critical. Is the seed yet in the barn? Yea. As yet the vine and the fig tree and the pomegranate and the olive tree hath not brought forth, from this day will I bless you. What's he saying there? Well, I happen to believe that he's saying everything necessary for fruitfulness in your land is still just sitting there. It's all there. Every, all the seeds still in the barn. The olive trees, the pomegranates, the, 
It's all the vines, they're all still there. They're just not producing. And God says, there is an untapped potential in your congregation. If you will turn your heart back to me, I will begin to unleash that potential. That's what he's saying. So how do we translate that into our world today? I happen to believe that in Christ, and I believe this with all of my being, every fiber of my being, I hold on to this truth. That in Christ, there are no limitations to what you are capable of in this life. The sky is the limit is an understatement. Heaven is the only limit to the child of God as long as he is dwelling in Christ. The reason this is important for us to know and to believe and to understand is because I happen to believe that in many of God's children there is an alarming lack of confidence, of assurance. We get ourselves and we chalk it up to humility. Having a humble spirit, being genuinely humble, is not antagonistic to what I'm teaching this morning. In fact, they coincide beautifully. Because I recognize that in Christ, with God's power resting on my life, there are no limitations to what I'm capable of accomplishing in Him. Now, apart from Him, how capable am I? The Bible says that without God, all things are possible. But with God, everything's possible. And what happens is, is we back ourselves in a corner and we convince ourselves, because we're trying to be humble, that I can't, I I just can't do anything. That's not what my Bible teaches me. I don't care who you are, what background you have. I don't care how forward or how backward you may be. In Christ, there are no limitations to what you are capable of in this life. And what I believe Haggai is doing is he's reminding the children of Israel everything that is necessary for you to to survive and thrive is just sitting there waiting for me to unleash. But there's just one last thing I need you to do. And we'll get get to that at the end of the lesson. So let's jump in here with this first one here. He says, is the seed still in the barn? And the answer is yes. The seed is still sitting in the barn. Gary, I don't know how foolish it is to leave seed in the barn in planting season. Do you leave some seed back in the barn? A little bit? Not what I was thinking about it this year. Okay. (laughs) Just in case, right? But what if you left all the seed in the barn at planting season? Would that be pretty foolish? <laughs> you would look at that farmer and you'd think, what are you doing? Have you lost your mind? And I fear that as Christians, it's exactly what we do. We leave the seed in the barn. We've got the seed. We've got the gospel. We've got the truth of God's word. We've got it all. But we just leave, we leave it in the barn. What good is that? And Haggai's coming along. He's saying, you've got all the seed sitting in the barn. All you've got to do is go plant it. I'm too busy. I I don't want... How can you expect to be fruitful if you aren't planting seed? 
It's utterly impossible. Now, I believe God can do anything. But if you as God's child is not planting God's seed, you're not going to see God's fruit. Just makes sense. Now, what is the seed here? If we were to translate this into the New Testament, I happen to believe that the seed he's referring to here is faith. And what I see is I see in this particular portion the power of faith. The power of faith. I want you to turn with me. Hold your place there in Haggai because we're going to be back and forth for the rest of our lesson this morning. But turn with me to Luke chapter number 17. I know I'm talking louder than normal, but I'm doing it on purpose. Miss Jane told me, she said, Preacher, you've got to talk louder so I can hear you. And so I'm going to keep talking louder. Okay? Look at... Look at Luke chapter number 17. My grandpa Campbell one time, love him dearly. I'll actually be working at his house on Friday this week, Friday morning, if everything works as planned. And uh, first time I ever preached at Abundant Life, I got done with the message and he come up to me and he goes, Seth, that that was such a great message. That was, everything you said was just spot on. I mean, he just went on and on and on and on, complimenting the message. He said, the only thing I would change, he said, the only problem with the whole sermon, he said, I couldn't hear a word of it. (laughs) And so I just put my head down and and shrugged it off, but it taught me a good lesson. Luke chapter number 17, and we're going to jump in at verse number, we'll jump in at verse number 5 here. And uh, we're going to see this idea of the, the power of faith in verse number seven or verse number five. It says, And the apostle said unto the Lord, Increase our faith. That's a wonderful prayer. It's actually a very teachable moment here. Can your faith grow? Yes, it can. That's why you read your Bible. That's why you come to church. That's why you spend time in prayer. Does that mean that your 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 faith can be lower than what it ought to be? Yes. It sure can. I believe a lot of the times that we're doubting our salvation, the reason we doubt the truths of God's Word is because we spend very little time in them. The less time you spend in the truth of God, the more you'll doubt the truth of God. That makes good sense. Verse 6, And the Lord said, If ye had faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye might say unto this sycamine tree, Be thou plucked up by the root, and be thou planted in the sea, and it should obey you. Now, I know this sounds far-fetched, but I happen to believe exactly what Jesus says here. And what he's trying to say is that within your faith as a child of God lies an untapped potential to accomplish unfathomable things for the cause of Christ if you'll just utilize it. And what I believe allows our faith to be powerful, if you will, it's it's not powerful. Our faith is not powerful simply because it's inside of us. And see, that's what we get mixed up at times. The whole word of faith movement, the whole if I say it, it's going to happen type deal. I don't buy into that. That's charismatic garbage. I've literally watched good people be sucked into blasphemous heresy because of that movement. I am not on board with that movement, and if you want to know why, you can come and talk to me and I'll tell you why. 
Your faith is not powerful just because it's inside of you. And that's what that group believes. They believe that they're like modern day spiritual superheroes. And that somehow their words have got power in them. And if they say those words, they can make things happen with their words because of the faith that's inside of them. Your faith is not powerful because it's inside of you. Your faith is powerful because it's placed in Him. That's what makes your faith powerful. It's not that you have faith, but that you have faith that is placed in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is a powerful faith. That is a faith that can move mountains. That is a faith that can pluck up trees and plant them in the ocean. That is a faith that can take a situation or a scenario or a church or a community and turn them upside down for the cause of Christ. Your potential is limitless as long as your faith is resting in Christ. That's the point I'm trying to make. Number two, back there, we don't have to turn there to Haggai. I did, but you didn't have to. The second thing that he mentions, not only is the sea and the barn, but he talks about the vine. The vine. And what I see in that tiny little two words, the vine, is the power of connection. The power of connection. Look at John chapter 15 with me. John chapter 15. We're going to get through this. Bear with me. Don't don't fall out on me yet. We're getting there. I I hope this is getting you fired up like it's getting me fired up. I get excited when I feel like when I feel like I can do better in my heart. When I feel like there's more to be accomplished. That that excites me. I don't know if it it may just wear you out, may get you frustrated. I don't know how it affects you emotionally, but emotionally when I feel like there's more to be accomplished, like there's more to be done, like that there's something out there waiting that's even bigger. That excites me. It gives me hope. It gives me purpose. That's what we're aiming at this morning. The power of connection. John chapter 15, look at verse number 1, an amazing passage of Scripture. I just, entire volumes have been written based on the verses of John chapter 15. Look at verse 1, the Bible says, I am, this is Jesus speaking of course, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth, or that, uh, beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches." He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. There it is. The power of connection. Your connection to Christ determines every success you will ever have in the Christian life. You want to know what made great men and women of God great men and women of God? It wasn't how articulate they were. It wasn't how much time they practiced speaking in public. It was not how much grammar they took to make sure that they could write well. What made them great was that they had a very, very tight connection to their Savior. They were close to God. And out of that closeness came a fruitfulness that astounded the world. Why? Because there are no limitations to the child of God who remains closely connected to his Savior, her Savior. Such a critical, important truth. Number three, back in Haggai chapter number two, we see the power of life. 
He talks about the fig tree. Is there still fig trees in your land? Yes, is the answer. There's still fig trees, but they're not bearing fruit. Well, look at Mark chapter 11. It's amazing, by the way, that he uses those words in Haggai. And then we fast forward to the New Testament. We see the different plants and the different agricultural connections that Jesus makes in his teaching and that the apostles make in their teachings. Uh, it's, It's a beautiful thing to see. Mark chapter number 11. And we'll jump in at verse number 12. Mark chapter 11, verse 12. Jesus talks about this fig tree. And He especially talks about one that's not bearing fruit when it should be. Mark chapter number 11, verse 12. The Bible says there, And on the morrow, when they were come from Bethany, He was hungry. And seeing a fig tree afar off, having leaves, he came, if haply, he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. Now skip down to verse number 19. And when even was come, he went out of the city, and, the, uh, and in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, calling to remember it, saith unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. And Jesus answering said unto them, Have faith in God. What's he trying to point out here? Jesus There are no loose motions in the kingdom of heaven. Everything that Jesus did from the time he stepped into this world to the time he left was intentional. It was filled with purpose. And this is no different here. It's why the end of John concludes by saying that if all the world could contain the books that should be written, I don't think that the world could contain the books. If we were to write everything down that Jesus had done. Everything was intentional. Everything was filled with purpose. And this is no different. He does this to point out one truth. You've got to be filled with life. Where there is no life, there is no fruit. And the fact of the matter is, you know, there's this saying, it's embarrassing to bring it up again, but you all have heard, at least you did, it's so like 2015. So it's not, nobody's using it anymore. Remember, I haven't been a youth pastor for like almost three years now, okay? So... I don't know what everybody's saying these days. I had to keep up on that as a youth pastor. You talk about weird. Try to be a youth pastor in the 2000s. That's weird. People don't even talk anymore. They just throw out a bunch of letters, and you're supposed to just know what it means. And then you find out what it means, and you go, I can't believe they said that in the youth group. You know what I'm talking about. Well, one day, this young girl, she comes in there, she goes, YOLO, what in the world? Did you just say in my classroom? She tells me, you only live once. And of course, she meant it as though she wanted to go do something crazy. I'm sitting there going, oh boy, we got to get this corrected. And so we spent some time working our way through the fact that you do only live once, but that does not mean you should live wildly. Because after you die, you're going to stand in front of Jesus. You're going to have to tell Him why you did what you did. And if you tell Jesus YOLO, <laughs> He's going to have an issue with that. Can't imagine. It, it, it's wild stuff. But the reality is, you really do only live once here on this earth. You've got one life to live to make a difference for all eternity. 
So be sure you're living it for Jesus. Number four, we see the power of hope. That pomegranate, while not expressly mentioned throughout your Bible, there is one time in the Old Testament that I'm aware of for sure that it is mentioned. And it is in relation to the spies that went into the promised land, into the Canaan land, before the Israelites had inhabited the land. And they came out and they were telling the children of Israel what they saw. And while in the land, they were saying we saw uh, giants, we felt like grasshoppers because of how tiny we were and how huge they were. And they brought out grapes and all these. And they talked about how massive and how plentiful the pomegranates were. But because of the mentioning of the giants, 10 out of 12 spies said, we cannot go in there. We will be destroyed. We will be demolished. But there were two, Caleb and Joshua, that came out and they were so filled with hope and so filled filled with passion and so filled with zeal. And there is no doubt in my mind one of the things that motivated them Same thing that motivated me whenever I was building my home. It was the thought of my children and my wife inhabiting this special place. This place that was going to be unlike any other place. And as Caleb and Joshua came back thinking about the pomegranates, thinking about the hope that lay ahead of them on the other side of Jordan, and they were beginning to think about their children and their wives dwelling in this land and how wonderful that would be. They said, we will go. We must go. It's what God has commanded us to do. What I know is that the greatest enemy to giving up is hope. When you throw hope into a situation, a person who is about to throw in the towel suddenly is enriched with courage and with passion and with zeal. There is a great power in hope. Untapped potential in the child of God. And then lastly, we see the power of holiness. He mentions the olive tree back there in Haggai chapter number 2. Is the olive tree still in the land? Yes, but it's not barren olives. The potential's there. I believe in this we see the power of holiness. In James chapter number 3, verses 12 through 18, James brings out the point that you can't gather figs from olive branches and you can't uh, grab olives off of a fig tree. It doesn't work that way. And he ties this in to being separate from the world, to living a holy life, to not being like the world, being different. From the world. And there's a great amount of power in this. There's influence to be had. There's differences to be made. There's people to, to, to affect. There's a God to glorify. He says, Be ye holy, for I, the Lord thy God, am holy. There ought to be a difference between us and the world, and when there is, we can make a difference. But if we talk like the world, sound like the world, look like the world, act like the world, and then we try to give them the gospel, they're going to be left scratching their heads thinking, why do I need what you've got if I'm already just like you? But oh, when there's a difference, when they can see the fruit of the Spirit dwelling in our lives, when they see holiness, when they see all this going on in our lives, they are drawn to that, and then the truth can make a difference. All the potential was still there. There was only one thing missing. Was there holiness? Yes. Was there hope? Yes. Was there some life left? Yes. Was there a connection to God? Yes. Was there faith? Yes. It was all there. Untapped potential. What was the one thing lacking? It was repentance. Repentance was the only thing lacking. 
And what God is saying to them is He's saying, all I need you to do is turn around and come back to where I want you to be. And if you'll do that, the seed that's in the barn will get planted. The olive trees will start bringing forth the olives. The fig trees will start bringing forth the fig. Everything that I have put a stop on, I will unleash that potential, but I need you to turn around and come back to where I want you to be. We need to take time to reconsider who and what is influencing our lives and be upright. We need to consider the chastening hand of the Lord, the timing, the substance, and the purpose, and get close to the Lord again. We need to consider what we are capable of in Christ, knowing that in Him we are able to accomplish so much more than we can without Him. And only when we walk uprightly before, <clears throat> before the Lord, and only when we walk close to the Lord, are we able to walk in the will of the Lord. Turn around. Come back to where He wants you. And then watch Him unleash your potential. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We pray that You'll bless it. Uh, that it will bring forth fruit in our lives. Lord, it has blessed my soul over the last couple of weeks to be reminded that in You, all things are possible. Lord, help us to believe that and then help us to live it. And Lord, we'll praise You for what You do. We ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.